0: I'm a marathon runner, and there's nothing worse than halfway through the marathon when there are people are holding up these signs going, you're almost there, and you want to say, no, I'm not. Screw off. Don't lie to me. I'm not almost there. I've done enough of these to know that I'm only halfway there. Stop lying. You know, the point is, this was a marathon, and there was absolutely no way I was going to stand up last November and say, you know, I think we're almost there. When I knew full well, we had a long way to go, and even today, I can't lie to people and say that I know what's coming tomorrow because I don't.
1: That was a clip from today's guest, Christine Ross. Uh, Christine is the Executive Vice President of Proof Experiences. She has extensive experience launching and growing businesses for both agencies and clients with a focus expertise in integrated brand marketing campaigns across the experiential, digital, social, and shopper marketing space. She has a deep understanding of consumer purchase behavior coupled with the ability to build and lead the right integrated teams, consistently delivering business results along the entire path to purchase. With a background in media at CTV television and senior management experience at several large network agencies and with numerous top tier client accounts, Christine is often cited for her creativity, leadership and results focus, both on a campaign level and company-wide. I've known Christine for a long time, and I think she's just a very, very inspirational person, a great leader, and just someone who's got a lot to share. So I think you're really gonna enjoy the show today. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. welcome to the show. Hi, Ram. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I am super stoked to have you on here. Uh, A, because it's been a long time, but B, because you have like deep knowledge about leadership. You got a lot that you can share. And so I think it's just going to be a very cool conversation.
0: I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me today.
1: You bet. Okay. So first in our, in, you know, in the intro, I, I talked about your bio and, you know, introduced you as a guest, but Could you just, for our audience, for the uninitiated, could you explain what experiential marketing is and how it really like kind of has like an edge in the market?
0: Sure. So, you know, I always laugh telling non-marketers what marketing is all about because marketing for me in university was what everybody took who didn't know what they wanted to do. They were like, I'm going into marketing, yeah. (laughs) I did
1: that. I did that.
0: So, you know, flash forward to my first job. I'm in marketing, not not having a clue what that is. And, uh, you know, over the years, realizing that there are so many disciplines within the marketing field, of which experiential marketing is just one. Most people know what advertising is. It's your television. It's your radio. Very often, most people know what digital marketing is. You know, you turn on your computer, you get served up an ad, you um, Most people know what in-store marketing is, you know, there's signage up in the store, there's posters promoting brands, and then experiential is what I call the fun cousin of marketing, which is the live stuff. So we got our origins in live, you know, if you think back to somebody handing you a chocolate bar on the corner of the street, that was probably the origins of live experiential marketing, but it has evolved over the last 20 to 25 years to being anything that is some sort of an experience you're having with a brand, creating an emotional connection. Um, And these days, the pandemic really hyper um, moved the business to include digital experiences as well. So we're in the business of, I used to say one-to-one live. I'd say in the last 18 months, that's evolved to any form of a branded experience where you are engaging with a brand or a company. Um, and getting a deeper emotional connection with that brand and that company. Does that help?
1: It totally helps. It, 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 I have an example, if you could tell me if it, and it's it just happened to me yesterday, so I'm interested in your take on it. Uh, in the mail, I got like a, a kind bar, and I was like, oh, a kind bar? What the hell? Like, it was, it was just strange, like they just, and it was just to like, to occupant. It wasn't to me personally, it was like to occupant, and it had a nice little note with it. And I was like, kind bars are not, they're not, not on my radar, but they're also like, I'm not like a guy that goes out and buys like an energy bar or like kind of, you know, a health food bar or whatever it would be. And it definitely, I was like, it put the brand on my radar again, at least for a couple hours, enough so that I'm talking to you about it today. Would that be something that would, Oh, look at you. Patrick just pulled out a bar from his bag. Uh, would that fall into that realm of experiential marketing?
0: not that would be more direct to consumer Mm -hmm. marketing and the reason for that is nobody engaged you per se Mm -hmm. there was no messaging that was conveyed to you nobody asked you questions or allowed you to engage two-way so I would say experiential tends to be two-way and it should primarily be two-way engagement in my opinion a good engagement or an experience allows you to ask questions could be long form or even short form oh hey cool chocolate bar you know is it gluten free you know that kind of Brian. thing or how many calories is in it so i would call that direct to home unaddressed mass so not in the realm of experiential marketing but it could be a complement to eat, to what we do so for example come to my experience kind Bar is putting on this amazing interactive experience. You know, you have to climb the ropes, scale the wall, rock climb, something that's really in keeping with their brand. And at the end of it, I ask you for your email address. Are you interested in getting something from us? And you go, absolutely. I love kind bars. What a great experience I've had today. And I'm like, great, send us your email and you're going to get a whole bunch of them in the mail.
1: So it's more about it, It's about like developing a relationship with someone.
0: Yes. Yeah. And it can be short form, five seconds or long form, three or four minutes. You know, when we're promoting and building experiences for something like hydro or recycling, consumers stop. They want to engage. They have a lot of questions that they want to ask. So your experience has to be sophisticated. There has to be high quality engagements where you can answer those difficult questions. In fact, I always say to people, the litmus test for me on a good long form experience is you can't tell if you're talking to an employee of the company. Or one of my brand ambassadors. That's how knowledgeable they should be. So that's you know obviously the optimal situation. But you know you often have kids hanging out handing out chocolate bars on a street corner as well. Hopefully they remember the three things I told them to remember if they get asked. <laughs> that's okay too though. <laughs>
1: so how did you find your way into this into this specific niche in, within the industry?
0: I started in some of the other disciplines of marketing and evolved into experiential because I would say it's been on fire for about 10 years. I think brands used to think mass was the only way to go. i got to get as many eyeballs on my TV spot as possible. And don't get me wrong, TV ads can be sexy. They can be fun to develop. Then you see them on television and you're like, blah. But you know, the problem with a lot of those mass mediums is I don't know if you saw it for sure. And I don't know if it resonated with you for sure. So the metrics around it are a little bit sketch in my opinion. When we have an engagement with somebody and you stop and have an engage, a live engagement with me for a few minutes, you know, I can feed that back to a client with some really hard metrics around it. So I've been attracted to the business for about 10 years. I got in about seven years ago, like into purely XM and said, okay, let's see if I can't take some of the learnings I have from some of the other disciplines and apply those and integrate those with experiential marketing.
1: So tell us about your role today in terms of like, what does your day-to-day look like? And actually, let's say pre-pandemic, before we get into the, anything pandemic-related, what did the day-to-day of your role look like as a senior leader within the within the industry? What did that look like?
0: Well, I was originally, you know, pre-pandemic, yeah. I think a lot of leaders would have told you that their role was delivering corporate KPIs. Um, you know, I think our job pre-pandemic was to help our company grow and make money. And how we went about that is, I think, what changed dramatically in the last 18 months. So I think the role of leaders in the last couple of years has shifted dramatically. Um, But I would say at the end of the day, you know, my mandate is still to come in every day and figure out how to motivate the people that are there to do the work that needs to be done to help us continue to grow and flourish. And if we can do that and create an incredible environment with great culture and everybody engaged then that's just a win-win for me. So I would say that I know that sounds really broad, but I would say that most leaders would tell you that their job is to serve their team and get everybody up and out the door. I have this great analogy that I use with my senior team leaders when I check in with them in the morning and I say, have you checked in with your teams? No, 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 this and that and the other. And I say, you know, for anybody who has kids, you have kids right Mm around. Okay. So, once you've gotten them up in the morning and you focus on getting them dressed and getting them fed and getting them out the door, your day can kind of start after that, right? Because you know that you can't put your stuff first. You have to get the kids up and sorted and out the door before your day can start and know that they've got everything that they need for the day. So I think that's a great way to think about leadership is when you get up in the morning, who, who else needs to get up, get ready get their day started so that you can then get back to doing some of the work that's on your own to-do list.
1: Yeah well it's interesting you say that uh, and very specifically when you started like well I know it sounds kind of broad because yeah it does sound broad and I will tell you 10 out of 10 leaders tell me like oh my job's about like people da 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 and what is always a journey for me is figuring out who's saying that because they think it's the thing to say but they know that's not what they really do who says that cuz they think they're they're doing that but they're not really doing it and then i can i can help either of those parties versus who's saying it means it and knows how to do it and why I wanted you to have have you on the show is because you say it, you mean it and you know how how to do it. So it's a very real thing for you. And also the organization you work in that I know well is just very focused on leadership, culture, creating that really strong experience. So I just think there's like a lot of, a lot of value you could add in this space, which leads me to a, a thing that I'm real interested in your take on is like any leader can say like, Oh, my job is about the people but it gets a little fluffy when people talk about that. So what for you is like leadership fluff?
0: Leadership fluff for me, a lot of people do say that it's all about getting their team, you know, supported during the day, but I I can tell someone who walks the talk and talks the talk, the difference for me is that they're actually accessible and available if you're truly a people leader then you don't know what your day is going to look like when you get up in the morning. Because until you've checked in with everybody and circled the wagons, you don't know what you're going to be doing that day. So, you know, the leaders who aren't accessible, who their team can't find them, they don't know what they're where they are, they're too focused on achieving their own to-do list every day, aren't really people leaders. Because I wake up every day and I can't tell you what my day is going to look like. I leave it open so that I can truly be available to everybody to help them get their jobs done. And my team knows that I'm available and completely accessible. I, I rarely take more than 15 minutes to get back to anybody. And I leave my day open and I leave it fluid because they don't know what hurdles they're gonna to have to jump that day. And if I'm not available to support them, then I'm not really a people leader. Does that make
1: sense? It makes perfect sense. For me, it's, a lot, it's the difference between managing people and leading people. Uh, leading people is about understanding people and seeking to understand them and constantly deepen your understanding of them and allowing them to understand you so that you can constantly be in that live exercise of leadership that there it's you've just got to be in the moment and focus on what's going on so that you can serve the needs of the team and the business and really be in there versus managing managing is just kind of like i need this result and it's reactionary to whatever's getting in the way of that result
0: or i could just email them back the answer let's be honest i know the answer
1: yeah Yeah, totally totally totally. do do this
0: at companies where you need to talk to your boss or a senior leader and they're like well he's free next tuesday at nine and i'm like that's not leadership yeah. That's, yeah. Your, that's you doing your day that's not you supporting me in, in getting what i need done today so
1: so this approach to leadership though was this uh natural for you so was it like a like an ability that you already had or is it something that you've developed through experience and like specific experiences that have set you down this path
0: I would say half and half because I think it definitely came naturally to me. And when I say naturally, you know, I think you and I've talked about flow before, you know, and sort of where passion meets skill set and meets value to the organization. And people pushing up against one or one or more of those three are just, I call them disgruntled, disengaged employees. And I can obviously, honestly root it, Back to one of those three so for me I would say it has to be somewhat natural because I'm passionate about it and it's a value to the organization so the third piece there is that I think there's some natural skill in the area but the other piece that I think makes leaders their best is feedback you know you don't know what other people need in you as a leader until you ask them some of the best advice I ever got when I started a couple of new jobs was to you know, someone said to me, I, I sort of called um, someone that I've been working with and I said, you know, I'm really nervous. I'm going to be I'm going to have three senior people under me with big teams under them. But they're like my age and they've got my level of experience. And I said, like, you know, I've never had this senior people reporting to me before and I don't want to mess it up. And she said, sit down with them and ask them what it is they need from you as a leader and ask them, like, is it clearing roadblocks? Is it getting approvals? Is it Leaning in and rolling up my sleeves and doing the work. Is it just being available when you need me? Like ask them what they need and you as a leader. And that was the most transformative conversation I ever had because I hit the road running at that job by sitting down with the senior team individually and saying, listen, we're peers. We have the same amount of experience in the business, but you tell me what it is you need. And I gave some examples, you know, do you need me clearing rope? And one girl said, absolutely. You know, I can never get time with the president of the company. I need you to like get me approval so I can keep my job moving forward. I said, check done. What else can I do for you? Anyways, they each gave me their checklist of what they needed. And I went back to my office and sat down and like grinning, like a Cheshire cat going, I got it. Like this is leadership. It's neat understanding what others need. And, being able to deliver it most of the time so that they start to trust you, that you're there for them. So I would say great feedback from a lot of really smart people and probably some natural inclinations in the leadership space are my secret sauce, magic formula. What what cliche would you like?
1: (laughs) Uh, I I love it. So what are, what are some hard lessons you've learned though? Like the tough lessons. Cause some of that, like, you're like, I got great advice. I was able to execute on it. What are some of the things that you learned through just tough, tough lessons?
0: Overall or in the last two years.
1: Well, w- w- let's start overall. Cause I actually want to focus in the last two years in in, in a little bit,
0: um, you know, I think. What I've learned over the years it really came in handy in the last couple of years. You know, one of the hard lessons I learned, and I, I, I learned it, I used it in the last couple of years, but it, it was still tough, is how important it is to be honest and direct with people. You know, especially as Canadians, we don't love delivering bad news. We don't like serving it up straight to people. We kind of love to sort of soft sell it. My friends and my American friends are like, why do you guys always like dance around? Just give it to us straight. I'd say, you know, maybe we don't need to be... uh, unauthentic but I think I learned that lesson because there's a lot of room for misunderstanding when you're not direct and honest with people and even though you think you're trying to spare their feelings or not tell them something it ends up backfiring on you as a leader and I think learning that people don't necessarily just want to be your friend they actually want a boss they want someone who's going to make the hard decisions deliver the hard news um that's probably the toughest lesson. You know, I'm a people person, so I kind of want to be liked. I wanted, you know, I want people to like me and think I'm a great person as well as being a great boss. And there's times where you have to sort of choose between the two a little bit. Um, and that came in handy in the last couple of years, but still it's tough, right? When you're making tough decisions, and you're having these sort of Sophie's choice sort of moments where you're like, I got to pick, like you're, you're picking who to keep on your team. Like you're picking who to go and who to stay. And you're picking one person's ideas over another person's ideas. Like you're picking who to stay and work through the night. Like that's good leadership. That's making decisions in the moment, but it's hard. And that was learned over many, many years and many sort of foiled attempts at, you know, trying to, be everything for everybody and ending up with nobody happy and everybody quitting so yeah. it isn't always perfect
1: how do you draw the distinction from valuable fleet feedback where someone could give you feedback and even if it's said in a critical or an even an angry way where you're like okay there's value there and I need to learn from that so how do you draw the line between that valuable feedback versus managing criticism that there isn't value in
0: That's a tough one, Aram. You know, I think sometimes having a sounding board is good. You know, I have a group of my own sort of mentor people that I turn to that that I think and I know can be honest with me. I have a group of not co-workers today, but co-workers from other companies where I think I can call and go, listen, you know, I heard this today. You know, is there a grain of truth in that? And is that important to the organization? I think there's a difference between criticism of a person and criticism of behaviors. And I try to instill that in my own leadership style with my team, where I really think it's important to focus on behaviors that are slowing you down or getting in the way of progress versus criticism of things that aren't important. And I think that's the differentiator is, is what they're criticizing important or not?
1: Yeah. It, it's interesting. You know, I, I talk a lot on here about how like anyone can criticize and, um, I would rather get feedback, even if it's like angry feedback, like, Hey, you know, you did a crappy job here as, as a coach or a business leader or a boss, even if the person's angry or, or upset and, and saying it in maybe not the most eloquent of way, but if they're giving me real deal feedback and it's going to be good for me and for the business and for the process and all that, I want that. Mm. not everyone can do that. Not everyone can give you real feedback because they might be too stuck in being pissed off, angry, disappointed. Or what they're talking about is just something that actually isn't really relevant. It's their take on something and actually the failure is on their end. So anyone can criticize, but not everyone can give really valid feedback. And I'm less interested in how the feedback comes. Like someone could be angry with me and give me good feedback. And if it's good, I'll take it. Like, yeah, let's hear it. But like criticism, like you know, like complaining from the sidelines, pointing out the, the, the errors in process, anyone in the world can do that, but not everyone can give good, valuable feedback.
0: I totally agree with you. And I think timing is everything too, because I've had it backfire on me where I've asked for feedback in the wrong moment at the wrong time. And I was, you know, in hindsight, you go, was I actually seeking a compliment there? Was I looking for validation? And you know you can get slapped if you ask somebody at the wrong time and you're expecting a compliment and what you end up getting is a completely you know furious response and then you think okay well that was I asked that at the wrong time and I asked it for the wrong reason so I think it depends on your real motives like you know it's easy to walk in a room and go how did I do when really you're thinking I I was pretty great wasn't I like you know And they go, well, actually, you weren't. And you're like, oh, my motives don't connect with that response because my motives were I wanted you to validate that I thought I was great and you did too, you know, versus waiting to the right time and then saying, hey, what's one thing I could have done better in that presentation? And that's that at the right time has somebody going, you know what, you know, I actually wish you hadn't interrupted me because I was trying to get my answer out and you were on this role of like, you know, patting yourself on the back about having a great presentation. And in doing so, you interrupted me. And I'm like, wow, okay. And I I do get that feedback often. No, sometimes. So it's something that I'm conscious of. But timing is everything and motive is important too. If you genuinely want the feedback, it will not come across as criticism. If you're fishing for a compliment or hoping that people are going to tell you you're doing a great job and you ask at the wrong time, you're going to be disappointed. And then, and then it hurts because you went in thinking they're all going to say I was great. And I was wrong.
1: Well, I I love what you just said there. And I actually haven't heard it said quite that way. It's a really, and again, this is why I want to have you on because you've got such a cool take on, on all these things. Like, feedback is interesting because I'm often thinking about how to give feedback and I'm always thinking timing and intention. So like give people, make sure they've got the right amount of time, they can have the conversation. And what's my intention? Is it because like they've pissed me off and I kind of want to give them a little elbow or is it because there's actually something that I can help them with? Um, So I always think about that when I'm giving feedback and, and I do a lot of work with people about how they give feedback. I think it's really important if you're seeking feedback, it's timing, make sure you have the time. The other person has the time. It is the right time. But also, what's your intention? Like, are you just secret, secretly hoping for a compliment? That's not a good way. Like, you know, that's not a good way to go in and, and get real feedback. So, for example, if I said to my partner, like, hey, how do I look before we're going out? And we've got like two minutes before we leave. I want her to be like, you look fantastic. I'm like, good, okay, because that's what I think, too. <laughs> like, That's different than the workplace where you're trying to get real feedback. So I, I love what you just said about when seeking feedback Timing and intention is so so key to it.
0: Totally, and um, I think the use of words is very important. And you know, I have many coaching sessions with my team around the choice of words. And often, when people say, "I'd like," can I get some feedback? What they're really saying is, "I'd like to give you some feedback," but I'm going to couch that with asking you for feedback. And then, the minute you're done talking, I can tell you what I really thought happened. So. I think asking questions when somebody approaches you about feedback about what's what's the scenario what kind of feedback are you looking for you know I often I can often cut people off at the pass and not waste an hour of both of our time when really they just want to give me feedback on something that was pissing them off so I think asking questions before you just launch into sure you know and leaving it open ended and being very specific And then using the right language, because, you know, like you said, how do I look tonight is very different than, you know, hey, I haven't worn this blue shirt before. I think, you know, blue looks great. And I think it really works well with these pants. You know, do you think that these two make a good match are different than these kind of open ended, you know, how do I look questions? So I think I try to teach the team to be as specific as possible and to ask questions. It'll make the conversation much more um, productive.
1: I, I agree completely, and I want to build off of what you just said because the idea of being uh, genuine about your intention in conversation is is really important. And a piece of advice that I give to anyone listening, if you do just want to give your boss feedback, and uh, or you do want feedback and you want to give them feedback, but more so you actually just want to give them feedback, and you're thinking how do I do this? Maybe I'll couch it in asking them for feedback, which is. It's so true what you just said. And it's like I've done that in my career. People have done that to me. I I see it very often in the workplace. Integrity about the kind of conversation you're having and just coming in to say simply, I'd love to give I'd love to offer up some feedback. Is that okay? And do you have the time?
0: Mm-hmm. It's hard.
1: It is hard. But I I always ask, suggest people to seek permission to give feedback. And I, and so like, you know, I'm a professional coach, people pay me to give them feedback. But very often in conversations, I say, Hey, can I give you a piece of feedback? I want the verbal acknowledgement from them. And there is a psychology behind it. But I also say, like, don't make leaders do more work than they need to do in the conversation. Because it's like, it's a two way street. And I'd say it's like kind of like experiential marketing. It's like, it's a two way, it's a two way engagement for leadership to happen, people have to be willing to be in that kind of relationship with their leader. And a great thing you can do is if you've got something to say, not just blurt it out, but also don't just couch it in something. Why don't just ask? It's like, I'd love to give some feedback. Do you have time? Is that okay? And do do we have time? I I think that's a great way. And there's a lot of integrity around that conversation if you do it that way. All right. So let's talk about the past two years though, because I have thought of you many times as we've been going through this as a, as a, you know global community, how has the pandemic impacted your segment of the marketing world, so that experiential marketing uh, segment?
0: well, when lot you know when the pandemic hit live events shut down, and that was the business I was in was live events. so. We were one of the industries like the airline industry, like the hospitality industry that just shut their doors the next day. We had had a little inkling because for a few weeks leading up to it, some of our bigger global clients had been sort of canceling conferences and saying, maybe we won't bring 400 people to Toronto that week. You know, we're hearing this thing about a pandemic. So we'd already had some business canceled leading up to the middle of March, but we, none of us saw the cliff coming you know, it was literally like falling over a cliff in the middle of the dark. You Not only did you not see it coming, but you couldn't see the bottom. So, uh, you know, it was mayhem as we just hustled to try to figure out what to do. Again, without seeing the bottom. Like we were falling the whole time without seeing the bottom. And just no idea where the bottom was, thinking, oh, we're, we're all going home for three or four weeks. So... All of our live activations shut down. All of our clients were put on hold. Businesses were, our industry was decimated. You know, I think there's a lot of small businesses that won't come back after this is over. So, you know, concerts shut down. Um you know, markets shut down, sporting events shut down, all of the places where we might be um, activating for our clients. You know, even if we were doing our own thing at the mall, the malls were shut down. You know, even if we were doing something on street corners, who's out on a street corner taking anything from a stranger? Nobody was wearing masks yet. So, you know, you're going to take a chocolate bar from a stranger on a street corner four weeks into the pandemic. So, and nobody was out, nobody was out and about, nobody was on transit. So we shut down overnight. What's, What saved us was that we have this incredible team who continued to look for opportunities and they were very early adopters and quickly identified the flip to to virtual. And at the time I went along with it, you know, And in hindsight, I'd love to give myself credit, but I I think none of it was my idea, but I just had faith that they, you know, they knew their portion of the business better than I did. And they're like, you know, virtual events is where it's at. We're going to start learning all of these different platforms. I'd never heard of any of them. Swugo, I'd never heard of. You know, we were were sort of rudimentary teams and Zoom early days. But, you know, very quickly the team embraced it. And a lot of clients, they were able to turn a lot of that business into virtual events overnight. By April of 2020, we were in the virtual event business and the virtual experience business. So that's a synopsis of... What happened, I guess, in the first year of the business, you know, it, it's obviously much more complex than that. What happened to all the people? You know, what happened to our offices? What happened to the businesses that didn't come back? Um, the teams shifted overnight. Um, so many things happened and, and so many ups and downs. But as a business, we were able to go to virtual. We were able to keep the lights on and keep a lot of business moving. And then Our team slowly became the forerunners in that space. And we've had some starts and stops as the world has thought maybe we're back to live. Oh, we're not back to live. Oh, maybe we're back to live. Oh, now we're not back to live. But live's starting to slowly come back. We're going to be okay as a business and um, not without major changes and major shifts in how the business operates. And some of it for the best to be honest with you ram like it fast-tracked stuff that people should have been doing a long time ago so you know that's sort of the the shiny silver lining in all of this but the business disappeared overnight and then slowly started to come back and then disappeared and then came back and now I think we're back for good in a whole new shape and format.
1: Yeah, it's, it's wild how this whole situation caused so much innovation in such a tiny little window where people were like, oh, I don't have any choice but to figure this out. So I'm going to like totally figure this out. And not just your industry, so many industries are just done in different ways now that would have eventually happened. It probably would have taken years to get there, but instead of years, it took like weeks or months to get there.
0: Yeah. I I wouldn't want to do it that way again, but it's the the next few years are going to be the wild west and exciting.
1: I I want to hit on what you just said. I wouldn't want to do it again because like incredible amount of innovation, but at what cost? So as a leader, what did you find was the impact on the team and what was the impact on you also as, as a leader?
0: I don't know. I mean, I've, I've worked through a couple of recessions and You know, this was different. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, because it wasn't just a financial economic impact. It was the human impact, you know, and it was the it was the lives lost. It was the political rhetoric that was going on that was scaring people. It was the polarization of families and and communities as vaccines came on board. And some people, you know, were on one side and some people were on the other side. Like, I don't know if there's ever been a time where we had so much economic and business unrest at the same time that we were having so much um you know so much other unrest across societies and around the world you know and at the same time that you know you guys have floods going on out in BC like I, I so you can't lead a company through a crisis like this and only think about the business whereas in 2008 when I had just started a company in those days and Worst time. Well, we'd started a few years earlier. But, you know, the only thing I was really worried about in 2008 and 2009 was getting the company back on track. I didn't have people's emotions to worry about. I didn't have job insecurity, health insecurity, vaccines, climate change. You know, it wasn't something we were like, you know, screaming from the rafters yet. So you were able to focus, you know, anybody in the last couple of years, who's been running a company has had to have their eyes in five different locations, you know, because at first there was this sentiment in a lot of businesses where it was like, just focus on the business, focus on the business. And I said, you can't do that. Like these are human beings who are worried about, they've got people looking after grandparents and people who are isolated in these little 400 square foot apartments. Um, So it was really, It was really the pandemic took a toll in so many different aspects of the business that as a leader, you just couldn't afford to not invest in people's personal lives. And that was new. You know, as someone who built my career up in the 80s and the 90s, when you, you know, when you came in that front door, you left your personal life behind. You didn't talk about kids. You didn't take mat leaves. You didn't. You know, you didn't say, oh, I got to leave. I got to go pick up my kid from school. Like, there was no, there was none of that. Your personal life got left off at the door. Um, Thank goodness. It's really a whole new world. But as leaders, if you aren't comfortable, you know, having those conversations with people about, you know, their dog being sick that afternoon as a way to help them and support them and get them back into the boardroom to do the work. You're just not going to have engaged employees. The work's not going to get done and everything's going to fall apart. So um, it's it's been a, a long couple of years and I wouldn't want to do it again just for all the personal loss that I watched um, and for all the, all the terrible trauma I watched so many good people go through. Um, I wouldn't want to do that again, not even for all the innovation that I've seen, which has been pretty cool. But I, you know, the human side, the human loss has been um, overwhelming.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It's It's been really, in on one hand, very inspiring to see what what people can do when their backs are up against the wall. And the other side, it's like, I wouldn't, you know, like, I, I, I don't think it's worth where we are is I don't think it's worth the cost. And one of the things I, I I'm so saddened by, and you know, I have to manage quite a bit in, in my job is the terrible, um, uh, toll it's taken on people's mental health who have to keep showing up to work and have to be in that space and, and all of the, the, the stuff, but then also the polarization, like the, I've never, I have never experienced working with people who deeply despise other people based on their on on their beliefs and like the level of polarization on on either side whatever side you you fall on and how it's like well damn like you also need to work together and teams need to work together and companies need to work together and everyone's got all these different things and that toll on the mental health and then that huge divide that i i do really put on the doorstep of the media here i i think that the media has done a terrible job of of creating a horrible situation uh globally between people And it's, it's, uh, if there's ever a time where I think a different kind of leadership is needed, it's now. And, and leadership for me is not about driving, like, you know, uh, financial results or getting projects done. It's about a willingness to like help people heal and help people like reconnect to what's important to them. Whether even if that's someone saying, Hey, like, no, maybe I have to go on to greener pastures. I have to try something else. It's like leaders, leaders now more than ever have to be willing to make that huge commitment into being a person with other people
0: totally agree totally agree and and they have to be prepared to admit they don't know they don't have the answers you know none of us has led through a pandemic before so being honest about what you do know and what you can do and what you don't know but being willing to help even when you aren't sure what the answer is was really critical because there were many times where I looked people in the eyes it's a little bit I'm a marathon runner and there's nothing worse you know I've run many many marathons and I love them and I love the mental part of the game you know the marathon the training is 90% physical and 10% mental but on race day it's the opposite and this very much felt that way and there's nothing worse than halfway through the marathon when there are people are holding up these signs going, you're almost there, and you want to say, no, I'm not, screw off, don't lie to me, I'm not almost there. I've done enough of these to know that I'm only halfway there, stop lying. But I think that, you know, they're trying to make you feel better. But, you know, the point is, this was a marathon, and there was absolutely no way I was going to stand up last November and say, you know, I think we're almost there. When I knew full well, we had a long way to go, and even today... You know, we're doing much better, but you know, I can't lie to people and say that I know what's coming tomorrow because I don't. So having a level of honesty, I also don't know, I don't know what the media is going to be reporting on tomorrow and I don't know what the emergency is going to be next week. So surrendering a little bit to how small we are in this world. And understanding that as a leader, you can only do what you can do and what, you know, what's giving to given to you every day and being humble about that, I think is important in how we go forward from here.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And something that really stands out to me about this is like, you know, when you said you, you don't like it's okay to not have all the answers. And I know that's such a, like a, a trite thing for leaders to say, it's like one of the things that drives me a bit crazy when leaders say that it's like, I always wanna, I wanna be, I wanna be the stupidest person in the room. I wanna hire the smartest people. It's like, okay, right, right, right. great, great. But like, or like, oh, don't be afraid to, this is the voice I do, by the way. The, the, <laughs> like, don't be afraid to not, to not know the answers. It's like, okay. At the end of the day though, like besides all that trite stuff, If you're in a position like this, the biggest thing I I encourage people to think about is you don't need to be anybody's therapist to be a great leader in a terrible time of crisis, which we have been in and in many ways we still are. It's not about being a therapist and having some deep understanding of like psychology. It's just the willingness to be vulnerable and allow other people to be vulnerable with you and with each other while also maintaining psychological safety for everyone. That's not therapy. That's about that for me is like real leadership of being with people. And it is so hard to do. But if you're willing to do it and take that leap, the rewards are massive for you, for everyone else as well.
0: Yeah. And when you don't get it right, which some days I didn't get it right. And we did a, we did a four, every four weeks, we did a pulse survey out to the team, an anonymous pulse survey. And I intentionally kept the same questions on it every month, but I would add one or two new ones. Um, And that gave people an opportunity to feed, to give feedback. And there were quite a few surveys that came back that had some feedback in there where I realized that oh, we messed that up, did that wrong. And there were a few weeks where here was the other thing too. And I, I meant to say this earlier, you know, the hardest part of the last two years was I had to manage my own mental health and wellness, my own energy levels, my own, you know, I've often thought of you Aram, when I thought, you know, how do people pay themselves now? What's the new payment system, the new payment model in this new world, because how you paid yourself two years ago, may have changed completely, but managing your own time through this pandemic. You know, there were many days where I thought, I, I can't do this. I can't, I cannot run another mile in this marathon. I'm done. I'm stepping off the course. I'm out of this race. I'll come back in a few years. <laughs> and then of course you get dressed and you brush your hair and you get on your Zoom call and the day, you know, you take off for the day. But leading through your own crisis you know, there, it's it's been yeah, it's been the toughest thing I've ever had to do, and in some ways, the most rewarding.
1: Yeah, well, and and I, you went right to where I, I wanted to go. How have you, as a leader, who like I again, I, we know each other well. I know you're always learning. You're always trying to elevate your game. You're trying to, and not just in in the uh, regards to the industry you're in, but as a leader, like you're really focused on growing, and which is part of why you and I've uh, connected so well over the years. You're always trying to raise your game. But then this is like a whole new world. So how have you been raising your game, uh raising your ability to lead, be with people, but taking care of yourself? What's the discipline that you've applied in this past 2 years?
0: The one piece and this is so simplistic, I'm almost embarrassed that this is my big aha moment um for you, but I have forced myself every morning to read for an hour to an hour and a half every single thing I can get my hands on, webinars, audiobooks, books, online newsletters, Um, because I realized very early on that I had no freaking clue what I was doing. And the best thing I could do was talk to other people who had no freaking clue what they were doing. And maybe between all of us, we could come up with some best practices and some learnings that we could share because I didn't have time to wait till it was over and then go, oh, well, you know, in hindsight... Here's all the great learnings, you know? So that was my one big shift in the very early days. It started with consuming as much media as I could around the pandemic. Well, that got exhausting pretty quickly. So by day by day 10 of like, I can't read the numbers for one more minute about this pandemic, I went, you know what? I'm using all this time and energy every day to track the pandemic. What if I started to use that time and energy to track key learnings in business and with people. And I just completely (coughs) redirected that time and focus on learning as much as I could in real time and showed up every morning by 9 30 so I tried to give sort of the 8 to nine thirty slot to learning 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 and I quickly became the person in the company who people were like so what's everybody saying about this topic and I'd be like well as a matter of fact here's what business you know here's what Harvard Business Review said this morning here's what the New York Times said here's what the Washington Post said here's what the BBC is reporting on and you know they they I, I stole from other it's great good old-fashioned plagiarism but you piece it together with your own experience and that's how I got through the last year and a half was I wasn't alone I was surrounded by all the great minds at Harvard Business Review and all the great minds at, you know the New York Times and um, you know reading listening to some of your podcasts and you know reading other books um, so I wasn't alone that's how I got through it.
1: I love that. And that doesn't sound simplistic. That's actually like, just brilliant. It brilliant. in actually it is simple, but brilliant in its simplicity. And it goes to, uh, I talk about very specifically getting through um, long-term stressful situations. There's a psychology that happens uh, called the long-term stress response where it's got three phases. There's the alarm phase, the resistance phase, and the exhaustion phase. And we want to stay in the resistance phase. We don't want to be in the alarm phase because that's more like fight or flight panic. And exhaustion, we don't want to dip into. We want to stay in resistance because it actually allows human beings to be very creative, to like kind of be on the edge of your seat, to like, you know, um, work harder, work smarter, like figure things out. But there are some poor habits that are a part of that stage that can push us into exhaustion, like it can interfere with our self-care, our sleep, like all, all of that kind of stuff. And the three things that are, are three of the ways that you can avoid the bad habits of the resistance phase are what I call the three Ds. So discipline, that's just your basic self-care discipline, Um, distraction and disruption. Um, Distraction for me is for at least an hour a day, you allow your mind to relax into something. And I say go for either the health food of the mind or the junk food of the mind. So the health food of the mind would be things that are intellectually stimulating or philosophically stimulating. Like it could be art, culture, it could be reading like poetry, it could be doing what you're doing, like deep study, deep dive into topics that you find fascinating that are useful for you. It could also be the junk food of the mind, like you could be binge watching Love is Blind and reading romance novels, it's fine. But for proper distraction to happen, so for your mind to be able to like relax from the tension it's feeling, you got to have at least an hour of distraction with either the health food or the, or the junk food of the mind. And then disruption is something totally different. So what you were doing was practicing distraction every day.
0: Yeah, it soothed me.
1: It's a, it's a really good, it's a very, very good strategy. Plus you were using that time to kind of like fill up your cup you know, in a way that was useful to others.
0: I wanted confirmation that I wasn't missing something. You know, it has every other leader got this figured out. And I'm the only one sitting here, not quite sure what to do. And the more I read, the more I realized, okay, I mean, you know, not to sound mean, but like, we're all in the same boat. Good. I'm not alone. And I started reaching out to people that didn't know me who were leaders in other industries I might have read an article and I was really overwhelmed and blown away at how um, receptive they were to outreach from a complete stranger to say I've got this business problem can I bounce an idea off of you and so I never felt alone in that sense and I think leaders also felt isolated the last couple of years like they were supposed to have the answers you can't go to your team and cry on their shoulder who are you going to go to to fill your cup, you know, to pay yourself and to keep yourself going. I think it was reaching out to as many people as you can and build your own. I built my own virtual network of people and I lost all my inhibitions around calling a complete stranger and going, read this amazing article that you wrote this morning in Harvard Business Review. Can I ask you a few questions? And then I invariably said, I've got a specific business problem I'd love your viewpoint on, which people love that. And then at the end, you know, is there anything I could be helping you with? Yes. Could you write a review for a Google review for me? Or could you absolutely happy to do that? So expanding your network so that you didn't feel alone and fast tracking any learning so that you could apply that to your own business was critical.
1: Yeah. And, and I love that because you found your people. You found your people that are going to a community who can help uh, get not just you, but your team and all of us through it the way that I I was, I look at what I was thinking about as you were speaking was like at that time myself, and it sounds like you, like all of us were kind of looking, we're in the dark. Who is the person who has like the beacon or the spotlight of knowledge? And we're looking around, we don't have it. But when you are looking around, you're noticing that every, like a lot of people have like, maybe like a, a little light point. Like maybe they've got a Bic lighter in the corner and then that person has a Bic lighter in that person. And if they're all separated it seems like they're just fighting, the, they're just fighting a terrible situation. But if you bring all that knowledge together, everyone has their BIC lighter together, then you do have that beacon. I think it's such a great way to manage, um, A, like leveling up, getting your knowledge, but B, just to like not feel alone. Because I'll say as a leader, holy crap, did I ever feel alone at diff- at different points of that situation?
0: I really did. And then you came home and you didn't get any break coming home because you walked in and you had to manage the emotional, you know. You had to triage the emotions that you were waiting for you when you got back home. Cause the pandemic didn't stop at your front door. Right. So, you know, it was the double whammy. It wasn't for the faint of heart.
1: Yeah, for sure. So as we're getting close to closing off, I want to ask you three questions. Uh, the first is, what is something that you have learned about yourself as a person and a professional as a result of the pandemic? So maybe you would have learned this some other way, but, this situation fast-tracked your learning about something that you've learned about yourself as both a person and a professional?
0: Um, you know, I think they probably converge, Ram, to be honest with you. I learned that I'm way stronger than I thought ever thought I could be. And I, I would say a lot of people would echo that. You know, mm-hmm. there is a certain sense of triumph that comes from surviving something like this and not only surviving, but coming out thriving. And even with the loss that we've had, you know, we certainly are coming out in a good place. And that is a result I think of having built such an incredible foundation going into this. You know, I feel sorry for the people that went into this in sort of those early storming forming stages and not really having a strong network to fall back on when the when the when the hurricane hit you know we had a strong foundation of a house we'd reinforced everything so we weathered the storm probably better than most but I I I didn't realize that um I was as strong as I think I am now and you know not that I ever want to go through it again But I'm proud of myself for being open-minded, for being open and receptive to feedback, for taking some tough feedback and not, you know, not biting and snapping back, um, for being the kind of leader that I had hoped I would be in a crisis, which doesn't mean I was perfect, but I, I, I learned that about myself that I'm, you know, I'm a good marathon runner and that I'm also, I think in, in times of crisis, I can, I can bring that, that game a little bit uh, to the forefront. So, and as a leader, I learned that um, I'm more vulnerable than I thought I was. You know, I thought I was tougher emotionally and I learned that It's okay to not always be 100% emotionally okay when you get to the office, that it's okay for people to see you being vulnerable. Um, You need to know where the line in the sand is. I've seen a lot of leaders bring too much vulnerability to the office with them, and I think that made the kids nervous. You know, like kids want to see their parents being real, but they don't want to see their parents necessarily Crying. They get them worried that something's really serious is wrong. So I think finding that happy medium between vulnerability, but optimism, um, was something that I learned.
1: Second to last question. Um, what did you learn about client relationships as a result of this pandemic?
0: Um, I learned that, you know, I don't know if I learned anything dramatically new. Because what you saw from clients was what you see from people in times of crisis. You know, people tend to become very, people tend to very quickly go to one end or the other. And one is like, I need to save myself. And the other are the people who turn around and walk back into the storm or the fire to see how they can help others. And I would say for everybody, you know, under certain circumstances, the storm either brought out the best or the worst in people. So I I think clients changed what they needed from their agencies. I think they needed us to be nimble, quick, less bullshit, more direct, more honest, and to the point. And we needed to be really quick about how we were able to deliver business results for them. And I think if you weren't able to do that quickly, you were out. I saw massive agency shifts during the last couple of years where clients said, "Listen, I like you guys, but you're too slow." you know you cost too much money and you know you can't get to the heart of the matter and help me grow my business and my business is you know a lot there a lot of our clients businesses were hit right one of our big clients is in the grocery business and there was so much flux and we had to stop being self-serving and just say how can we help you and i think those clients really came forward and met us you know halfway and we've built really strong relationships with them we just all put our selfish hats aside and said you know we need to, we need to be helpful in this situation and we need to be quick and we need to be nimble and not worry about fees and sending bills and sending invoices and seeing our clients as human so that was probably more than one answer but you know i think from, uh, i think yeah, i think from clients they needed to see a different kind of agency um and i don't blame them you know, I don't blame them. They they needed their businesses serviced very differently, very quickly. And a lot of big companies just couldn't do it. Well, we're going to charge you for this and charge you for that. And I'm like, we're in crisis mode. You need to be helpful right now. You need to be the Red Cross.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, final question. What did you learn about your industry as a result of the pandemic?
0: We need to get our act together in terms of how how people work in our industry. We are, you know, we are notorious for long hours and poor balance. And I think we wore wore it like a bit of a badge of honor pre-pandemic. And I think coming out of this pandemic, that's not cool anymore. So there's going to be a reckoning in our industry now about how we make money when we have typically had people working 50, 60, 70 hour weeks and not with overtime, not with overtime, But it was cool. It was the cool thing to do. You worked all-nighters. It was, like, amazing, you know, smoke a pack of cigarettes, work all night. Like, it was fun. But, you know, I don't think people are prepared to do that anymore. So I think our industry is going to have to figure that piece out. And I think the other piece they're going to have to figure out is that in the last year and a half, we all realized that experiences don't need to be live. I've had some amazing experiences digitally now. Amazing. Amazing. So I'd like to have both. And for companies that were only doing one or the other, there needs to be a more holistic approach to a fully integrated solution that includes an online and an offline component of that experience and a proper digital experience. I don't just mean like a live stream of your live event. I mean, there needs to be your live event and then there needs to be a completely separate digitally integrated you know, sort of VIP, they need to be the VIP seats, the digital seat, the digital experience, not just the cheap seats because you're not there. So you're watching some bad live stream of it. So that's going to change. Our industry is going to have to reckon that piece along with the people side of it, how we manage people who no longer, who are burned out and don't want to work 60 hour weeks anymore, consistently, consistently.
1: Oh, that's incredible. Thank you so much for all of that. And it resonates with me in, on many levels. So as we're closing off, anything you want to add in at all?
0: I miss talking to you. I just realized how much I miss talking to you. We need to connect. We need to have an online virtual drink slash experience. And we need, to, um, we need to catch up. I want to hear about your music. And I'd love your input on what you've seen from leadership in the last couple of years and what some of your takeaways are. I know this isn't a chance for me to interview you, but I'd love to hear if you have time for me in the next couple of weeks, I'd love to hear from you on um, what you've seen as some best practices and what we could be doing better.
1: Heck yeah, absolutely. And Patrick is here. He will follow up and, and set that up. And yeah, it's just, it's great to reconnect. But also it's like, I thought about you. I thought about your organization the team who I just, I think are just such wonderful people. Like what a, it's one of those times where you want to reach out, but you know, everyone's like managing so much stuff. And I just said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to bring you on when you're ready. And we're going to have this conversation. And I'll just say, not even just with the pandemic, there was so much to add. Uh, there's so much great stuff you added in. Uh, in this conversation just about leadership in general and then of course I'm very interested to hear your take on on uh, how your industry has been impacted by that so thank you so much for your time and uh, everyone I'll see you in the outro Spencer drop the beat that was a great conversation and Christine thank you so much for being on the show something that I've always valued about my time with Christine is she's very reflective and totally willing to be in like the deep conversation and be vulnerable and on, vulnerable and honest in it. And today was a great example of that. I got a, so much out of the conversation, especially that like, hey, if I'm seeking feedback, like what's my intention and what's the timing? That was really uh, super valuable for me. So thank you, Christine. As I was hearing the story, I kept thinking like, wow, what a cool time of innovation this has been because we have had our backs against the wall. But what a terrible way to have to learn all this stuff. So for anyone out there who's still struggling under the weight or currently struggling under the weight of what we have been and are going through, this is the time to really check in with yourself. And if you need to, you know, do some good self-care, then you should do it. So once again, uh, I'm your host, Aram Raslanian, and this has been One Step Beyond.